I am absolutely delighted to tell you that this show is being brought to you with the help of the lovely people of Hannah Hats, Donegal. I've been wearing Hannah Hats for about 10 years and I have to say, once you start wearing a top drawer quality hat, you can't go back. In days where everyone is after a Peaky Blinders look and they're all wearing these hats, these flat caps, it pains me to see so many people wearing caps of all shapes and sizes that you can tell from a mile off are just not good quality. The Hannah family have been making these hats in Donegal for almost 100 years. The tweed they use is quality Donegal tweed. You can feel the quality when you wear them and I'm telling you, if you look after your hat, it'll last a lifetime. I still have my grandfather's hat from the 50s that I wore to my wedding. So check them out. Hannahats.com is their website. It's very user-friendly. Pick your style of hat, your material, your colour, your size and bang, that's it, made to order. They also have all sorts of accessories like handbags and scarves as well as caps made especially for kids. So trust me, I would not endorse something that I couldn't recommend 100%. Go find your Hannah Hat people. You won't look back. Hello and you're very welcome to another episode of See You At Yours with myself, Matt McKinn. It's uh, very strange times that we are in at the minute, ladies and gentlemen, I don't have to tell you that. Uh, as regards the See You At Yours podcast, uh, one of the main points of it is that I go into artists' home and homes and, and studios and, and try and get some of that they're very comfortable, some of that they can just relax and, and we can get a really good, deep conversation about what's going on. And... Um, for the foreseeable future, that's not going to happen. Um, this next episode, it will probably be one of the last times I get to do that for a little while. I am going to try and replicate it on um, over, you know, online. But uh, we'll see how we get on. If it's if it's not the same, I might have to just put it on hold for a while. But we'll see how it goes. Um, in the meantime, um, there's not many gigs to talk about. Uh, a nice tour of England, uh, cancelled. Dublin's cancelled. Um, Cathedral Quarter Arts Festival is postponed till January. With a bit of luck, that'll go ahead um, then. And uh, not really much else to chat about. Um, make sure and sign up to the mailing list at mattmcginmusic.com. What I'm going to do is I've got a, a recording of... Um, I've just mixed it and mastered it, and it sounds class, I have to say. It's a, a live capture of uh, our gig at the Atlantic Sessions last November. The band were just absolutely cooking that night, and yeah, we managed to get a, a recording of it, and um, it, I'm going to put it out free for anybody on, on the mailing list, and if you join up to the mailing list in the next while, um, you'll get that as a free download, so make sure and check that out. And also... Um, the only other thing to mention is yes, cocoons. It's a lovely uh, Facebook Live virtual in the round that is sort of uh, hosted by myself and Cormac Neeson. Cormac's a wonderful singer of uh, the lead singer of the Answer, and he has also put out a, a great solo album that uh, was nominated for the Northern Ireland Music Prize last year. So um, myself and Cormac basically hosted. The other performers are going to be people from all around the world or local. Um, and it goes out on Facebook Live within the group, which is called Cocoons. So if you go to um, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cocoons or just uh, maybe search Cocoons in Facebook, then you should find the page. And on a Saturday night, um, 
Irish time, UK time, seven o'clock uh, on a Saturday night, we'd be going out live and syncing up with other artists around the world. So it, it really is class. It's a lovely vibe and, and give it a go. Um, as regards this episode, this is Jared Dickinson. He's a wonderful songwriter um, from Texas originally, now living in Nashville with his wife Claire, who's from here. And when they were in Belfast, I managed to sort of corner Jared and, and uh, get him to do a little bit of talking. Um, he's uh, he's a great songwriter. He's a lovely singer, and his his whole ethos to recording and that is is lovely. And you hear that in the recordings. He's got a beautiful beard. I don't get beard envy too often, but he has got a lovely beard. And um, go and check him out. Go and check out his music. I'll throw in a few here, but his album uh, "Ready the Horses," which is just stunning altogether. Um, I won't be able to feature it on this, but make sure and check it out because it is class. And he probably will be in town as soon as this thing lifts, so make sure and check him out too. But for now, enjoy See You at Yours. Make sure and subscribe and give us a nice review and all that. And uh, with a bit of luck, fingers crossed, we've got some lovely people lined up for the podcast. So hopefully, you know, this is not the end. Uh, we shall keep it going. So be safe, people. Um, yeah, fingers crossed we'll all get through this soon and back to normality. But for now, enjoy the music that you've got on tap, podcasts on tap, everything. And uh, yeah, see you a bit. How'd you show on Saturday? It was great. Yeah, the show was really nice. Um, have you been there, Ulster Sports? No, I can imagine from people describing it what it is mm. like. Just that sort of almost like um, Peter Kay. Yes, it's Phoenix Nights. Phoenix Nights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, uh, you're stepping back in time to a kind of slightly suspect uh, sports club. Well, that's what's so great. You walk in and there's all this memorabilia and, um, you know, wood paneling and all of these old fixtures. Looks like it hadn't changed since the 70s. And you sold it out, did you? Did, yeah. Yeah, it was nice. That's class. Yeah, and the upstairs room there was really nice. Very, um, We had it set up cabaret style, so it was very kind of warm and welcoming. And Yeah, I can't complain. It was a great tour in general. Yeah. Before else did you go? Ooh. Well, it was a, a 13-date run. Um, started in London and did pretty much everywhere. Mainland UK. We did London... Uh, next was a place in Devon called Broad Hempston, which even English people don't know where it is. <laughs> uh, but it was this beautiful old church that we played. Um, then Shrewsbury, just outside of Birmingham, went up to Halifax, over to Norwich, back down to London again for, for a second night. Uh, Liverpool, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Newcastle, Bristol. Did I say Manchester? Did Manchester. And then over here. Class. So, yeah, it's a good run. Does it make it a little bit easier and nicer, the fact that you can bring your wife with you? Well, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> or more difficult. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. uh, do I have to answer that one? <laughs> no, it's brilliant. Yeah, we're, we're fortunate to, to be able to travel together and, you know, do, do what we do together instead of apart, because I know for a lot of musicians it's... Um, you know, you're, you're essentially in a long distance relationship if you're out on the road and your partner's at home. And, you know, we did that for three and a half years, New York to Belfast before we got married. And 
we're, we're very happy to not be in a long distance relationship now that we are married. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and musically it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd say this, even if she wasn't sitting across the table, it's, um, it's made it better. You know, it's, um, it's pretty incredible to, to have somebody who knows you really well, uh, and knows the songs really well and knows where you're coming from, uh, be able to add a, add a voice to it and a, and a spirit to it. And is that how it happened? Is that like, I mean, he's at a, at a party one night in Bangor, Belfast and <laughs> you're singing and Claire starts doing harmonies and you're going, Hmm, no, that's the it's, way I imagine it. <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's funny. We, we were dating for about a year, um, before I ever knew that she could sing. No way. She kept that real quiet. And, uh, and one day, I think we were in Texas actually, um, visiting my folks. And I remember I was kind of playing guitar and singing something and she just started harmonizing. And I was like, where have you been keeping that? <laughs> and, uh, slowly convinced her to come up on stage. Took a little, little convincing. She was hesitant at first, but, um, yeah, she's, she's not leaving it now. Let's go down, see that preacher. We'll invite everybody in town. We'll invite the whole damn town. Bring me like way, way, way back. And mm. um, you're in Nashville now. Before that, you were in New York. But where's where's it all start? Well, I grew up in Waco, Texas which is right in the middle of the state. It's uh, kind of equidistant between Dallas and Austin, uh, hour and a half from each one. So you, you know, Waco itself was, was a fairly um, boring place, for lack of a better word. Uh, is that was, anything to do with the Waco kid? Uh, do you know the Waco kid? Yeah, I do well from Blazing Saddles, yeah, yeah. Gene Wilder. Um, <laughs> I have no idea why he was called the Waco kid in that. I've always loved it, but... Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know where they got that from, but it uh, it was a good place to grow up. You know, it, it was a medium sized town and like two hundred thousand people. So not a small town by any stretch, but it wasn't a big city either. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we had two movie theaters. We we had all you could ask for. <laughs> um, but you had Dallas and Austin, both an hour and a half away, which both had thriving music scenes and art scenes. And so if you were looking for that you had to go to one or the other and, and I chose Austin and uh, went there for college and uh, that's kind of where it all really kicked off for me musically. I, I picked up guitar when I was 18 so pretty late in the game compared to a lot of people and um, at that point there weren't any career aspirations. You know for me it was oh, I'm, I love music, I love guitar, I'm gonna see if I can pick this thing up and make anything happen. There was no there was no point that you saw something or heard something that made you do it. It was just like, you finally got around it. Yeah. It, it, you know, music was a huge part of my upbringing. Um, it was always in the house. You know, my, my dad was, was an old hippie and, uh, I grew up with his record collection, which was the Beatles and the Stones and Simon and Garfunkel and Bob Dylan and, you know, Tom Petty, that kind of stuff. That was my, my musical upbringing, but it was never something that I thought I could do, you know? Um, did he do that at all? He played, he played piano as a kid. He played drums when he was in college. But by the time I came along, neither of my parents played any, played anything. They both played piano when they were, when they were young. Um, so it wasn't, 
it wasn't in the house as far as an actual instrument being played in front of you. Um, but music was always playing Mm -hmm. and, um, it's hard to explain, but it was just, it was this kind of other family member almost. It was this thing that was always there, you know? And, um, so when, when I finally decided to pick up a guitar, it was really just because I loved music and, and genuinely wanted to, see if I could do it, you know, not, not to make a career out of it, but just to see if I could make any noise come out that wasn't. Had you, had you written songs before you picked up the guitar? Had I written any songs? songs? No, no. Um, although the two came pretty quickly together, you know, as soon as I learned a few chords, uh, I started trying to just put them in whatever order I could. And then, you know, you naturally start, start just making stuff up or I say naturally. I mean, for me, it, it seemed like the, the, um, the only obvious thing to do was to try to make something up, you know, just to, just to keep yourself, um, interested really. Now they were horrendous, obviously they were absolutely (laughs) terrible songs. Um, but, uh, but I think that was what, what really, uh, what really kind of lit a fire for me was, was the idea that, okay, if, if I learn this, you know, I learn this new trick, this new chord, this new, whatever, um, well, then I can use that to create something. And, and up to that point, you know, aside from maybe drawing, uh, I, I, I drew a lot as a kid. I never really created anything. You know, I played sports and did, did that kind of thing. But um, I, never, uh, I, I never took, uh, you know, raw utensils and then made something out of it. And, and so I think looking back on it, that was, um, that was exciting for me. Was there somebody that you immediately like, like local or whatever that you went to almost to sort of go, uh, like how do, I do or, or I want to show this to you or mm. you know, as far as as far as an instructor or as far as even like you know you've you've got a song and it's there and you're sort of going maybe in your head you're going mm. it's, it's class because I've done it and I've achieved it but yeah. I want it to be better. Yeah, it didn't. Or was it just all no no one that I was really bouncing it off of necessarily. Um, you know, I definitely played early stuff to my parents. Uh, and my, my dad was, uh, uh, as supportive as he could without lying, <laughs> you know, that's, 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 that's pretty good going. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought that was, I thought that was all right. And, and my mom's always been really supportive. And, um, I think the creative side, you know, my love of music came from my father because he, he was just a massive music fan and he was always playing records. But I think the creative side came from my mom. She is, uh, you know, in, in a different life, she could have been uh, a folk artist. Uh-huh. You know, she she's always drawn things and is a, a very, very talented painter. And, and in the last handful of years, she's um, started quilting and is a absolutely astonishing quilter. Huh. Um, and so I think the creative side of my brain definitely comes from her. Class. Yeah. And then how long was that then before the first recording or first sort of studio experience? Mm. Well, pretty early on, um, I got like an old Tascam recorder and uh, and set up in, in like an upstairs room at, at my parents' house and laid down all of these. Um, I mean, I guess you just call them demos now. At the time, I thought I was making a masterpiece. Uh, and, uh, I think we all do. Yeah, of course. We're still making well, them. Why, why would you? Why would you do it otherwise? Um, so yeah, when, when I was maybe nineteen or so, would be the first time I actually recorded anything. Thankfully, it didn't. It didn't uh, find many ears. 
because it didn't deserve to find many years. Um, but the first kind of proper recording was uh, when I was a senior in college, and, and I kind of had an idea by that point. I'd been playing, you know, for three or four years and, and uh, playing in little coffee shops and had been writing songs. And uh, a buddy of mine who uh, had an interest in, in producing records and engineering records, uh, we kind of got together and, and he said, well, I'll, I'll produce your album. And I thought, oh, that's great. I don't know how to do that. Um, and so we, we made a record uh, while we were both still in college. He was, he was a music student, and uh, so he had access to the music building at the University of Texas. So after hours... Were you doing a university? I was a communications major. Um, Is that like PR? Well, th th there were many facets. So you could have done like radio, television, film, that oh, sort of thing. For me, I did interpersonal communication. So you're basically studying communication patterns within various types of relationships, whether they were business relationships or personal relationships, family relationships. Um, and it's very interesting and it's, it's, uh, it's really similar to a psychology degree. You know, there, there are a lot of overlapping courses. Um, there's not a lot you can do with it you other write, than other than write songs, <laughs> just talk to people or write songs or, you know, uh, b become a counselor or something like that. So were you going to say, was he sneaking you into the university to use the facilities? Yeah. The so, so he could, he could hire out the orchestra room after mm. hours. So we would go in there and it was just a giant mm -hmm. room, you know, uh, size wise, kind of similar to Abbey road or something. Obviously Class. it was nothing like that, but <laughs> it was, it was just a big empty orchestra room and he'd bring in his, his little, you know, two channel mixer and, and a couple of mics and, and we'd just start recording. Um, so that was the first first experience, and that became an album uh, which was called Ashes on the Ground, which came out in 2008 or 2009. I kind of forget now. Um, thankfully, that one sort of disappeared from the Internet. <laughs> I was going to say, because I, 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 I couldn't come across that one. That's a pity now. Yeah, oh, that's a real pity. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was fine. And, and I think for, for a you know 21-year-old who's only been you know, working on this instrument for a couple of years and, and trying to figure out how to write songs. Um, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it by any stretch, but, but things got better. <laughs> well, it's just another day On the northern sea The first album I heard of yours was... The, Ready the Horses, yeah. Ready the Horses. But I mean, but I love like straight away seeing that progression yeah between that and the, and the album before hmm. and i mean i think like, uh, i love i love the looseness of the of what i would consider the first album though it's not what, uh -huh. what would it be uh, the lonesome traveler it's it's the second record it's it's kind of the first proper record i mean it's it's got a looseness and it's got a like mm. a lovely vibe to it and it's almost like you know you took that just give it a little polish for mm. the for ready the horses that just i don't know brought it all in this lovely big sound, but yet it's still you, yeah. just sort of your part of your journey. Thanks. You know I mean? Yeah, there um, they are different records, and there's definitely an evolution there. But the the kind of common thread between them is they were tracked live, um, and that's that's definitely how I like to record. You get a bunch of players in a room together, mm. and you and you play and sing a song, you know. Um, and so, Lonesome Traveler was uh, very much a folk record you know, very sort of acoustic driven songs, storytelling songs. Um, and there, and it was a, a fairly kind of loose, um, 
loose way of recording and playing. You know, a lot of those were first takes or, or second takes in the band. Um, I would have run run through the song once, and they would have said, "Okay, yep, got it." Class. And uh, and then and then away we went. So there there were, you know, little things that that happen when you don't know a song too well that are that are great, and also you're sort of hanging on for dear life, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, uh, and, and with ready the horses, it was, it was another live record, uh, that time straight to tape. We recorded to, to live to two inch tape mixed huh. down to quarter inch. Um, the songs had evolved a bit, you know, it was a, a little bit more upbeat, had, had kind of more of a bluesy soul feel to it in places. Um, but still very storytelling driven. Um, and, uh, and I definitely wanted it to be, uh, sonically different. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wanted, we had horns in there and Hammond organ played a pretty big role. And the hum is incredible. Oh, it's my favorite instrument. It's like a spaceship. Yeah. I don't know how the thing works, but I'm glad it does. <laughs> yeah. um, and like there's, uh, there's one of the songs, which song was it that there were the Hammond just um, in the main, in the meantime, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. The Hammond just, I mean, how he gets the sounds and that thing is just incredible. He, uh, it's funny on, on that one, um, in the meantime was, um, was a single take. So we, huh. we did that one and, uh, and we all went into the control room to listen back and we were all like, yeah, that felt pretty good. And, uh, and I, I had such a good time on it. I was nearly like, well, can we just go do another one? You know, just, that was fun. Let's do it again. Uh, but we didn't. So that, that was the only take. And there's one part, um, in that song. I think it's kind of in, um, in a little like middle eight bridge section where what he's doing just sounds like you're in outer space on mm-hmm. it's all these harmonics that he's playing yeah. on the Hammond. And, uh, and I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, what the hell was he doing? What is that? <laughs> and the more I kept listening, I was like, man, that's brilliant. I love that. That's my of favorite course. part of the whole song now. Yeah. And I mean, the yeah. fact is you're hearing it and you know that it's organic, like, you know, it's not yeah. like that you sort of throw it in, throw it into a little plug in mm. or whatever to sort of make it. And as you say, like it's, it's straight to tape. So, I mean, like some of those, we, it's those wee bits of magic. Mm that you have to just hold on to, like, you know, it's, and it. luckily you're, you're, you have a bit of experience then and your producer's got a bit of experience to say, no, mm. just before you go in and redo that or whatever, let's just, yeah. let's just let us sink in for a while. That's you know? it. Well, that one was, um, that record was, was, well, actually the last two really were kind of a, I mean, you could say self-produced. I kind of look at it more as production by committee. You know, yeah. you, you get a bunch of great players in whose, whose instincts and, and, um, and style you trust. And, and then you, you just kind of do it together. You know, mm-hmm. there's nobody really calling the shots. It's just everybody together saying, yeah, this feels great. Or nah, maybe we can tweak that. And, uh, and yeah, I think we were all pretty, pretty pleased with how that one turned out. Uh, no, it was fantastic. Thank so you. jumping way back then, mm. um, the, the first album that, that didn't sort of make the, the cut, mm-hmm. it was recorded in the university. Where was the, um, where was, at what stage then, did you went to New York then, or what stage did you go to New York? Yeah, so so I graduated uh, university in two thousand eight, I think that sounds right. It's been a minute, um, and so I hung around Austin for another couple of years, um, working you know working day jobs and, and then also playing in the music scene, um, and then somewhere in two thousand ten, I decided that I needed to get on the road. And uh, didn't really know what that meant or how to achieve it. But mm-hmm. uh, what I did was I was working in a call center at the time. And uh, 
I, I think the business is now has now gone under, and I probably played a part in that because my my last uh, like two months of working there, I would essentially go in, and then I was uh, busy booking myself a one month long West Coast tour uh, on company time, <laughs> sitting at the computer, emailing all of these venues, researching places, and. Uh, uh, you it does know. take a long time to do so. When well, I get it does. So you know, it's like, well, I've got all this time to kill. I don't like answering phone calls, so I think I'll do this. Uh, and I plan to leave this job anyway. And um, so I, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to book a going to book a West Coast tour, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think I booked something like 28 gigs in 31 days, and hmm. um, and uh, had ne- had never had never toured before, had also never been to the West Coast in my life. So why on earth I had it in my head that if I booked these shows, anyone would be there? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no idea. Because um, they weren't. You know, I, I more often than not was playing to the sound guy and the door guy and the bartender who were all a little angry that none of them were making any money. Yeah. Um, but I had a blast. I, <laughs> you know, I was driving myself around, lost a ton of money, um, but realized that I loved being on the road you know i loved being in a car for a long time and rolling up to a new city and and uh the gigs where there were people who happened to be there it was an amazing experience was it, was it not bad though because you started off on like the the, the good weather coast mm. you know and then you <laughs> yeah yeah I, uh, it's yeah things have changed <laughs> take my hand rosalie take my hand to face this world alone We'll turn over every stone We'll make this life our own So leave the porch light on I'm coming home It, 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 was, it was just an incredible experience for me um, you know and, and I made some friendships on that tour that, that last today and um, but that was it. I, I, I booked that tour, quit my day job, gave up my apartment and, and decided I was just going to be on the road. And so for a month I was out, you know, touring to no one, um, but having the time of my life and then, uh, finished the tour, came back to Texas, crashed on my older brother's couch for, for a week or so. And then, uh, a buddy of mine from Austin, who had recently moved to Nashville said, Hey, there's a, a room opening up in the house that I'm in. You should, you should move up. And I think he was joking. Um, and I called him the next day and said, great. When do I come? When do I arrive? <laughs> and I think I was there within a week. And, uh, so I lived in Nashville for a little over a year, right. um, moved out to LA for, for six excruciatingly long months and, uh, and decided this is not for me and, uh, and moved up to New York. After that, was there for five and a half years. And what what made you leave Nashville, the place that everybody wants to go to now, and, and you're there now? Like? <laughs> yeah, it, for me, it, Nashville's a funny one, and it, and it still is a funny one. Um, at the time, I was used to living in Austin, where mm-hmm. you know they call it the live music capital of the world, self-proclaimed, but they they still call it that. And and it's true. Every door is another music venue. There are so many stages mm-hmm. in Austin, so you can you can legitimately be playing just about every night of the week. And uh, and it's a wonderful place to to cut your teeth, you know, and, and kind of learn your craft. 
Nashville, as weird as this sounds, isn't much of a live music town. Yeah, yeah. Um, it happens, you know, there, there are gigs there, but more often than not, they're either country cover bands happening on Broadway, mm -hmm. or it's these kind of in the rounds for singer-songwriters. Um, there's not a lot of just kind of normal club gigs that happen unless mm -hmm. you're a touring band that's coming through. And so for me, that was that was a difficult thing to, to live in a city where you didn't really have a good opportunity to play live all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I still needed that, and, and financially I needed that. Mm -hmm. um, and there were other things about Nashville that just weren't really up my street. You know, it's a very industry, machinery-driven town, and still is. Um, you know, very formulaic in the way that they go about writing a song or, mm -hmm. or making a record. And um, I've never really jived with, with that side of, of the city. So for me, it felt like I needed to, to be somewhere else. Um, the reason for going out west was uh, I had a few friends out there that had kind of told me that the music scene was, was a good one. And, you know, singer-songwriters had a lot of places to play, which was, was true. Um, but I was also getting ready to make the Lonesome Traveler, which I was going to make with a guy called Ryan Freeland, who was based in LA and a yeah. bunch of LA players. And, uh, so I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not in love with Nashville. Um, I might as well just move out there. I'm going to be there to make this record anyway. See if I, if I like it, you know, I'd been there a couple of times before, wasn't a huge fan, um, but thought, well, it's worth worth going out there you can always leave and mm -hmm. uh and i had a, I had the time of my life making the record but pretty much everything else was miserable for me uh, it's just not my kind of place it's a it's a very the, the way i always described it was it seemed like all the buildings were just part of a movie set and all the people were extras in the movie set and nobody was real nobody was genuine you know, uh -huh. uh, you'd get handed a business card before you'd get a handshake. And, um, you know, for, for a lot of people that that's fine. And I know it all depends on, on who you, who you find out there, who your crew is. But for me, it, it just wasn't the right place. And, and I'd had New York city on my mind and, and, uh, and in my soul for a lot of years and knew that that's where I wanted to end up. And, uh, spending six months in LA was the thing that finally <laughs> made me decide to just go ahead and move up there. Yeah, he's carried those eyes with him for every lonesome mile. But he rolls on, he rolls Two steps from the graveyard, Lord, he's still out in the cold. But he rolls, oh, how he back there Ryan Freeland mm. is he the same one that produced uh, Ray Lamontagne yeah so so uh, Ryan he's been overdoing with uh, Ryan oh, and Giddens uh, so yeah Ryan Ryan's a brilliant brilliant engineer and, and there were um, there were several years there where it seemed like every record that I bought uh, yeah. was either an Ethan Johns production yeah or Ryan Freeland had engineered one or the other, you know, every, every record that I fell in love with. He just with. seems to be able to capture things just yeah. incredibly in the same way Ethan Jones. Exactly. They, they were, I mean, they're, they're very different in the way that they approach making records, but, but they, 
they both seem to be able to make a very organic, very honest and, and, uh, vibey record. And so, um, yeah, I, I kind of just took a chance and, and emailed Ryan, uh, or I think I emailed his management and asked if he'd be willing to make a record. And, um, shockingly he was up for it. And, nice. um, but, but yeah, he, he, for years he's been Joe Henry's kind of main engineer so any joe henry productions yep. ryan's the engineer um he did that uh ray lamontane god willing and the creek don't rise record mm-hmm. um did a brilliant ramblin jack elliott record um the rhiannon giddens album um carolina chocolate drops before that he's he is a, a magician in the studio and and one of the sweetest people you, you could ever meet um so yeah absolutely delighted to to have worked with him on that and and hopefully do it again <laughs> one of these days how many years between that album and ready the horses it was a few um i made lonesome traveler uh would have been november of 2011 i think is when we recorded that and that was in new york uh well we, we recorded it in LA. la um i moved to new york basically right after it was finished <clears throat> i i moved out um Ready the Horses, uh, we recorded in Eastbourne, in the southeast coast of England. Um, and that was December 2015, huh. is when that record was made. Now, it took us a couple of years to get it out. Um, and, uh, and we're actually still working on getting it out in the U.S. Um, Great. Whole other, whole other story. But huh. uh, uh, yeah, so it, it, it's, it's taken me a while to, to make records. And, and part of it for me is that um, I, I want to do it a particular way, you know. Um, what is that way? I want to do it in a studio with a band. Um, you know, I, I, I like the energy of having everyone in the same space. Um, I, I like doing it in a very analog way. Um, so even the, the, the record I did with Ryan Freeland wasn't on tape, but it was all live into a lot of really nice analog gear. And, mm-hmm. and then Ready the Horses was live straight to tape. I like doing it that way because I feel like you, you capture a moment and you get a more honest record. You know, obviously there's things that you sacrifice with that. Um, you know, little things that you might want to fix and, and you can't fix. Um, but I, I'm all right with that. I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of like, um, I, I, I like to present the best that I can do in that particular moment in time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you sort of understand that hopefully the next one's going to be better, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, There's it's, also the, the little blemishes that, 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 you know, make the, the, the listener or say if it's a TV mm-hmm. thing, make the viewer sort of realize that, you know, it's, it's, it's real. Well, this is it. You know, you know all, all of my favorite records, um, for the most part were, were made that way. And there's uh-huh. mistakes like you listen to Beatles records or Stones records mm-hmm. or the band or anything like that. There's mistakes all over it, you know, uh-huh. but, but you feel like you're listening to human beings making music. Yeah. Um, and obviously genre dependent, there are, there are other ways to make a record that, that might make more sense depending on what it is. If you're making a big pop production, that is not the way to make a record, you know, <laughs> but for what we do, which is a very rootsy, uh, thing, I, I feel like having everyone in the room together, um, and at least getting the core of the song 
mm-hmm. done live is, um, for me personally, that's how I like to make a record. And, um, and, but because of that, it, it takes money, you know, yeah. um, not, not huge budgets, but, but you do need some money to be mm-hmm. able to be in the studio and pay players and, you know, ready the horses was done all on mates rates. You know, we did it in a, a friend of a friend's studio who made us a deal that was far better than he should have. And everyone was playing for virtually nothing, but even that it, it adds up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for me, I'd rather wait until I can make the record that I want to make rather than rush something out that, that I'm not going to be happy with, you know? And, and that has meant that it's been a few years between each record, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, I'm in that situation now I'm, I'm itching to get into the studio. We've, we've got songs, but got to find a pile of cash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love making records. I love touring. I love singing. Um, but I'd be doing all of this even if nobody was listening. Yeah. And and I think that's the important part. I suppose that's what you realized in your, your first tour of the West Coast mm. was that, I mean, nobody's here and that's that, that would have sent a lot of people home, yeah. you know, but with their tail between their legs, but for you, you just loved it even probably even more. Well, that was it. I mean, that was, that was, uh, I, I had a good idea that I wanted to do this thing, but that was kind of what solidified it, you know, being out on the road, traveling around, playing in the worst venues you can imagine to nobody. And yet, still thinking I'm having the time of my life. This is, this is, this is brilliant. Uh, granted I was in my early twenties, so it's, you're a bit more resilient yeah, yeah. at that point. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's not in everybody and, and that's okay. You know, I, I know a lot of musicians that, that I'm very good friends with that really struggle with being on the road and, um, and it's a hard life. You know, you're, you're living out of your suitcase. You never feel settled. Um, and you're always broke and your body's broken and you're, you know, it's, it's a hard way to go about it. But, um, I know for me and Claire, whenever we're home for more than a week or two, we just start getting the shakes, you know, and, uh, and thinking, man, when can we, when can we get out of our own house and get back into a travel lodge? (laughs) Older men may think quietly back on life. On their withered wings They will fly home Seasons come and go Lead us down this winding road I'm not going to keep this too long because I'm more of the fact that it's a bit cold but I want to um, see the likes of like one of the things that I got especially from Ready the Horses, hmm. is that, like, I knew, I knew that you were going to say that there was, like, it wasn't just the fact that you were growing up on, on Johnny Cash and, and hmm. Christopherson, like, because the the mix of influences in that record, yeah. you know, you've got, uh, there's, there's a lot of Paul Simon coming through, hmm. there's, but there's, like, Sam Cooke, and there's, um, you know, there's Dylan in there as well, but it's like, like, there's, there's a lot of bands coming out at the minute doing that sort of retro thing. Yeah. It's like you switch it on and it's just Sam Cooke singing, basically. Yeah. Now, I mean, whenever I listen to that, all I want to do is listen to Sam Cooke. I'm with you, yeah. You know, but I mean, so you've gone into the retro thing, as in, you know, recording to analogue, mm. doing it live as possible, getting the energy, the production that might sort of tip the hat to these uh, greats that have gone before, but yet yeah. it's, still, it's still Jared Dickinson mm. 
his voice and his songs, just sure. cutting through all that. How how does that is that something that you've like made a purpose of doing, or is that just something that it just it's, happens? Uh, I I don't know that it's a, a conscious thing. Um, I I do think it's just has has kind of come out of what I what I grew up listening to. Um, you know, it's interesting you say that about Johnny Cash and Chris Christopherson. That wasn't my musical upbringing. <laughs> you know, I. I um, even though I grew up in, in Texas and, and all of my friends were listening to country music, my dad was not a country music fan, you know? And so, um, I grew up on, on rock and roll and blues, you know, that was, that was the stuff that was always in my house or, or folk songs like, you know, Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, Dylan, um, Jim Croce, that, uh-huh. you know, that was the stuff that, that, um, sort of informed my musical knowledge and, and, and taste. And, um, as far as, is my own style is concerned, I, I think it's just a matter of, of what, what you like, what you like listening to, you know, I've never really tried to push it in a, in a retro or vintage direction. I think it's just that that's the stuff that I listen to, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that, that that's, uh, it's pretty normal for that to to influence what you do on your own thing. Um, you know, you, you certainly try to try not to copy anyone. Um, and, and maybe that's why I'm able to sort of, you know, hint at certain things and, and it still be my own voice coming through. But, um, yeah, for, for me, it, it's, it's, uh, all of my favorite artists and, and records, um, every song was different. You know, you listen to Abbey Road and, and they've got every genre you can imagine on that. Or you listen to a Tom Waits record or a Paul Simon record and there's a blues song and there's a pop song and there's a rock and roll song and a country song. And, um, so that's really what it is for me is I, I love to, um, I love to try to, uh, dip a toe into every little pond mm-hmm. and, uh, and and I think because of that, sometimes they 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 get mixed up, and it maybe turns into something uh, hopefully unique. Uh, but uh, it um, don't know. Uh, I, I don't know how it happens. It's probably best not to examine it too closely, or yeah, maybe yeah. it won't happen again. I think you're. I mean, for me now, what the the continuity I think between a lot of the stuff I would like, be it from certain types of rock and roll to to. Folk or whatever it is, mm. like there's there's an energy in the recordings, yeah, and and maybe that's what what you're trying to trying to to grasp or to, yeah. to have in your. I mean, it's definitely in those two albums. Oh, thank you. And um, and even the fact that even the 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 would you call it an EP or a short mm. short album that yeah. they've done of the the Americana sort of the 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 songs the the oh um, under Texas sky yeah yeah and I mean like even that you know it's 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 a little bit more acoustic, but there's mm. that energy and that fluidity that's there. It's still captured. Like, so yeah. I mean, uh, maybe that's, maybe that's what we're, we're, we're sort of always trying to, maybe that's the thing that sort of resonates from yeah. music that we would have grown up on. Or, well, I think so. It makes you feel something, you know, and that's, uh, yeah. I, I think if, if it's something that moves you, you know, if there's an energy there and, and, uh, um, an honesty there, then I think it's going to move you and, and, um, you know, certainly from your own music that I've heard, it does that. And, oh, uh, and I think it's what we all sort of strive for is to 
create something that um, sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's it's uh, that's what we're going for is is try to try to do something one that that pleases you, you know, because that's it. Uh, you've you've got to I've got to write something that makes me happy, and then uh, and then hope that it makes somebody else happy too. Class, is there in Belfast mm. for Christmas? Pretty close. We so we alternate uh, years uh, between Texas and Northern Ireland. This is a Texas year, but we are going to be here uh, kind of right up until around the fifteenth or sixteenth. So we we sort of get the best of both worlds this year. And what happens in twenty twenty? More touring, uh, hopefully another record. If uh, <laughs> if uh, if the gods should smile down upon us, um, I'd love to get in the studio and and, and make another record. Yeah. Thanks for having the crack. Thanks for having me. Cheers, man. Cheers, brother. <laughs> There you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. That is my chat with Jared Dickinson, an absolute Texan gentleman, if there ever was one. Make sure and go and check out his stuff. Download it. Buy it. CD. Vinyl. Oh, vinyl jealousy and beer jealousy on the one episode. Mm. So, make sure and check out Cocoons. Sign up to the mailing list. You're going to be getting a free EP soon from the Atlantic Sessions. With a bit of luck, we'll see you very soon on See You at Yours. And if you like the podcast, don't be afraid to like it, to subscribe it, to leave us a nice review. And we will see you before too long. Thanks now.